I've said many times that I love the book of Philippians. It's my favorite New Testament book. It's a book of laughter. It's a book of rejoicing. It's the only New Testament book that does not have the word sin in it. It is a book where the word joy just kind of oozes out the pores. It's a book that rejoices. Now that's pretty fantastic when you consider that it was written by a man in prison, chained to a guard 24 hours a day. The odds were astronomical that one day somebody would come in at any time and take him out and execute him. And he said, I rejoice and, and says rejoice, evermore rejoice. It's a tremendous book because it has as its theme the rejoicing of a man. Now what's going to happen? What happens to a man when you take him away from his work that he loves and his family and you put him in prison, you chain him to a guard, and you put him under the threat, under the possibility of imminent death, and he's surrounded by these unfriendly colleagues, these friends of his, so-called, outside, now are saying all these false things about him. What happens to a man like that? Well, it all depends on the man. If you got close to the cell of the apostle, you could hear coming from his cell ringing laughter. Paul Rees has written a book on Philippians. He titled that book, The Adequate Man. And I think that might be the understatement of the year, The Adequate Man. I think maybe a better, better title even than that would be this, the adequate answer. I have found the adequate answer. I have found the secret of life. I have found the secret for living. I have found the way to live. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. As a matter of fact, verse 21 is pivotal, pivotal to the whole book. For me, J.B. Phillips' translation has it, for me, this living is simply this, Christ. It's not trying harder. It's not struggling more. It's not doing your best or putting your best foot forward. For me, living is simply this, Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes when I hear people talk about the Christian life, the picture I get of a Christian is, is kind of a boxer, you know, beat up, kind of slumped over in his, uh, on his stool in the corner of the ring, and he's just beaten to a pulp. And there is his manager and his trainer, and they're saying, come on, champ, move faster. You've got to keep moving, keep punching, keep your guard up, do your best. You know, and they're encouraging him. And he's just trying his best, and he's getting beat up. I heard about one such boxer and his manager whispered in his ear, he said, champ, you're doing great. He hadn't laid a glove on you. He looks out through slits where his eyes were and says, well, if, I'm not, if he's not laying a glove on me, you keep an eye on that referee because somebody in that ring's about to kill me. I mean, and, and so here this Christian is and, he, and his preacher and his Sunday school teacher and his spouse are just telling him all the time, you're doing great, try harder, keep moving, keep your guard up, keep struggling, keep striving. 
you're doing fine. Put your best foot forward. And that encouragement keeps coming and we just keep getting beat up. And when there's no place to hide in this small arena where you and I live and, we're, and the opponent is not only getting stronger, he's getting help. It seems like the whole thing is ganging up on us and the harder we try, the less we're able to do it and we struggle and we strive and we put our best foot forward and we fail miserably in the Christian life. The Apostle Paul said that's not it. The Christian life is, is Jesus Christ living in you. He is the origin of life. He is the essence of life. He is the aim of life, the pattern of life. He is the solace of life. He is the reward of life. I, I thought he said about the Christian life, and the Christian life is not striving harder or, or trying harder or, or, or making a stronger effort or putting your best foot forward. I have discovered what living is. It is this. It is Jesus Christ occupying my life. I have no secrets that I keep from him. I have no, no doors that are locked to him. He occupies all of me. For me, the Christian life is no more or no less than this, Jesus. John Henry Jowett used to say, and I think he was right on, our parents were fortunate that they never ever heard those long theological words that in which learned men sought to enshrine the ways of God. Jesus, he said, was about the longest and the hardest word they knew. For the Apostle Paul, Jesus was just about the longest and the hardest word he knew. What is it to live the Christian life? He said, why, it's just opening your life up to the occupation of Jesus. It's Jesus living in you. Now, there are four implications of that. The first implication of it is this. That makes the Christian life possible. Well, you see, your life is no longer your own when you believe that. It's no longer yours. What Paul was saying is what he said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Now you can't live the Christian life, that's true. But God has given you a Jesus who can. Somebody said that the only person who can live the Christian life is Christ himself. I got home the other Sunday, a few Sundays ago, my phone was ringing. I shared it with some of you. One of my friends in West Texas told me about a man that I've been witnessing to, a man who had just been saved in the morning service of their, of their church, one of the wealthiest and most successful businessmen in West Texas. I remember the first time I ever witnessed to that man. He told me, he said, I'd like to become a Christian. He said, I, I, I know that what you're saying is right. Well, he said, I can't live up to that. He said, I can't give up what's some of the things in my life. He said, I can't hold out to that. I'm reminded of the woman who couldn't give up her drink, the old lady who couldn't give up her alcohol. And she told one friend, she said, you know, there's not a better person in the world than I am. I just can't live up to it. 
And he said, I just can't live up to that. He said, I'd like to be a Christian, but I can't hold out to that. And you know what I did? I spent 30 minutes trying to convince him that he could. I spent 30 minutes trying to tell him how that he had resources, how he could live up to the Christian life, indeed how he could live the Christian life. You know, I wish I had known what I know today. I'd go back. I would have gone back to say to him, you're right, you can't live the Christian life, but God will give you a Jesus who can. Now, it makes the Christian life possible in my personal struggles. For you see, the provision that God makes is none other than Jesus Christ himself. That's the provision. Now, he gives you fellowship in the Christian church, and he gives you a perception of the Word of God that you never had before, and he gives you some comfort and solace in the forgiveness of your sin, and those are all great provisions. But the one provision he gives you, he makes for you in living the Christian life is Jesus himself. Stephen Alford used to say, there's never a demand made on my life that is not made on the Christ who lives within me. And that's what that that phrase in verse 19 means. Would you look at that again? He talks about the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's the only time that particular phrase is found in the New Testament. And it's best translated like this, the provision of the Spirit that Jesus gives. For you see, the Spirit is not the giver of gifts. The Spirit is the gift Himself that Jesus gives you. Now what Jesus is saying, inspiring the Apostle Paul to say is, what Jesus said to us was, listen, I'm going away and leave you, but I'm going to give you somebody just like me. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. That's the provision. And this provision within the Apostle created in him a a spirit which was akin to the spirit that Jesus manifested on earth so that Jesus living in Paul was able to live his life out in the same spirit that he lived on earth. The provision is Jesus himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now you say, I can't forgive old so-and-so for what he's done to me. That's all right, Jesus can. You say, I can't... uh, I can't have this right attitude that I have towards certain things. That's all right, Jesus can. You say, well, I can't can't, uh, get along with old so-and-so. That's all right, Jesus can. God, listen to me, folks. God has given us a Jesus who can. That's the provision. He makes the Christian life possible in my personal struggles. He makes the Christian life possible in my practical service. Now, there's some of us today who are just scared to death of service and ministry. We're scared to death of that. We don't witness. We don't teach. We don't lead out in church ministry. We're scared of it. I used to think, I'm going to confess to you on my anniversary here, feel a little, you know, sentimental. I'm going to confess to you, I used to think the reason why everybody didn't witness, everybody didn't teach is because they didn't care. You know, they were apathetic, indifferent. I don't think that's true any longer. I don't think that that that's true for everybody. I think some people don't do that because they are afraid they can't. And there's this terrible frustration that some of us feel of inadequacy and and inferiority when it comes to ministry and to service. We, 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 We feel so inadequate in those areas. When I was pastoring in Fort Worth, I kind of got a word out, the reputation that I, was, I could counsel a little bit. 
I just got bombarded with counseling. I worked on a schedule, and some days I started at 8 o'clock and counseled on the hour, every hour, true story, until about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I used to just dread those people coming to see me for counseling. I mean, I, I just hated the idea I could find every excuse not to be there, you know, some emergency coming up. I dreaded it. And so I got some books, you know, I got a shelf full of books on how to counsel and how to help people and, and, and psychological uh, uh, suggestions and helps. You know what I know now? What I believe with all my heart that, that, that folks didn't want, want me to tell them what was in those books. They wanted Jesus to touch their lives. They wanted Jesus to be released in me to touch them. That's what makes the Christian life possible in practical service, Jesus being released. And I read this from Jack Taylor's book, the uh, first book that he wrote. Frank Stovall, who is also in the music school over at Southwestern, wrote, wrote this in, in Jack Taylor's book. It, it, it applied graphically to me, said, what finally brought me to my knees was another person's problem. A student came to me with a serious problem. He had decided to literally sell out to Satan and turn his back on Christ. In my spiritual condition, I was unable to help. I was defeated at every point where I desired victory in being a minister to help others. I entered a season of prayer which was broken only by work demands. I prayed for faith to believe God's word. I was brought under deep conviction for my sins. I was praying for my friend, but, I was, but was finding answers for myself as well. I poured out my sins in a torrent of confession. I saw sins that had been my life unconfessed and thus unforgiven. When the confession and forgiveness was complete, I felt a tremendous release of inexpressible joy I had, ever, I had never known before. Jesus had become sovereign Lord. Everything was new. What used to be, listen, what used to be a source of constant frustration now became joyous victory. And the Christian life was made possible in practical service. When Jesus Christ is allowed to, to occupy all of you and you keep no secrets from him, no doors locked to him, the Christian life becomes possible in your, in your personal struggles and in your practical service. It makes the Christian life possible. Now the next thing builds on that. Watch this. That makes the Christian life purposeful. Now what is the purpose of the Christian life? The Apostle Paul said, the purpose of the Christian life for me is that Jesus Christ, verse 20, might be honored, as he sung, or magnified in my body. That's the purpose of the Christian life. Why are you a Christian? Why did you become a Christian? Just so you would, wouldn't have to go to hell? That, that's just, that's just per peripheral to it. We were, I was talking one Wednesday night with somebody after the prayer service, and we talked about why, why is it that, that so many people are totally turned off to the demands of the gospel? Well, I think it's because for most of us, all we're interested in, or, or a lot of us, all we're interested in is that we, you know, we want to get saved so we won't go to hell. But the purpose of the Christian life is that Jesus Christ might be exalted in my body. 
Now Paul said, I'm eager for this. This is my eager expectation. Pratt says, Paul, as it were, stood on tiptoes, eagerly seeking how he could best glorify God, either by living or by dying. Now what is the purpose of the Christian life? The purpose of the Christian life is that Jesus might be magnified in me. Now you say, well, does he need to be magnified? I mean, how does, a, how does a human being, a mortal man, magnify Jesus? Well, the stars are bigger than the telescope, but the telescope brings those stars which look so distant nearer, which look so tiny and make them larger. So that what the Apostle Paul is saying is that my body is to be a telescope. I want my, my eager expectation is that my body become a telescope that just brings this distant Christ near. Well, you see, a lot of people, to a lot of people, Jesus is some misty figure in the far distant past. He's this, he, this, this God for some people is so small, he, he couldn't help us with our problem if he wanted to. Now he said, I want to magnify Jesus in my body, not in my sermon, not in my song, not in my Sunday school class, my teaching. I want Jesus to be magnified in my body and that brings it right down to this pew where you sit, right where you are. It means that the way Jesus Christ is to be exalted and glorified is in the daily life of his people. Now there are a lot of people that, that, that look at us and wonder, you know, how big is this God? How distant is He? And, they, and, 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 and we're not magnifying Him in our body. Let me ask you a question. Think of 10 people you know this morning better than anybody else, 10 of the people you know best. When they look at your life, they look at your character, after having been associated with you, what, what, what is their idea of what God is like? Have you ever been around somebody who you, you just got around them and you just sensed the nearness of God? And, and you just sensed the, the, the strength and the power of God in life? Do you know anybody like that? You, you probably know some. That's what the Apostle Paul said, that's the purpose of my life. I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna take Jesus, this little Jesus, and make him big. I'm gonna take this distant Christ and bring him near. That's the purpose of the Christian life. Now that leads us to the third point, implication. When Jesus, when, when living is Jesus Christ and the purpose of your life is that he be exalted, that makes the Christian life practical. There's nothing any more practical than that. That puts you above every circumstance. You see, when, when Jesus Christ is living in your life and your purpose is that, that he be exalted and magnified in your daily life, there is nothing that can defeat you. It's a lot like Jesus, really. Watch this. When, and when he was alive on earth, this is what he said. I do nothing except what I hear my father say, see my father do. In other words, I, I, just, I just make my life available to God. 
And he said, my purpose in life, my one purpose in life is that the Father might be exalted. You ever, you ever notice that? Now, when you have... When you have a person like that who is under the control of the Father and his purpose in life is that the Father be exalted and glorified, I mean, you can kill him and not defeat him. There's nothing any more practical than that. It takes every circumstance and reverses it and makes it work for good. So Paul said, some people are preaching out of envy, poor motives, they're, they're, they're motives of ulterior, and, and some are preaching with the right kind of motives. It doesn't make any difference as long as the gospel's being preached. God can take every circumstance and turn it and make it work for my good, you see. When, I, when, when, when my purpose in life is that, God be, that Christ be exalted, I mean, you can take a guy and kill him and you can't defeat him. Now watch this. There are a lot of things about the Christian life which we're, we're committed, to which we're committed that are not very practical, really. But when Jesus Christ is made the Lord of your life and He lives His life out in you and you're living to exalt Him, every prayer you pray will be answered. And every circumstance of your life will be turned for good and every ministry in which you engage will be successful. That's his guarantee. There's nothing any more practical than that. One last thought. For me to live is simply this, Jesus Christ, that makes dying gain. That makes the Christian life profitable. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now that's a bookkeeping term. It's a word that means profit. Paul said you take my life and you put it in columns and you add it up, it says Christ. You take me out and kill me, draw the bottom line, it says profit, gain. Now one time the apostle Paul said, I am a debtor both to the Jew and the Gentile. He lived his life in the red and he died in the black. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Now watch this. The only time death is gain is when it is at the end of a life that is filled with Jesus. That's the only time. The only time that death is gain, and I, I stand and, and preach a funeral, I, I suppose average once a week, one a week. And, and we talk a lot of times about, well, he's, this is a, the best thing for him. He's gained. The only time that death is gained is when it comes to the end of a Christian. For me to live is my business. To die is not gain. If my life is money, to die is not gain. If my life is my family, to die is not gain. Now, 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 you fill in the blanks. For me to live is blank. You fill in the blank. For me to live is, to die is. For me to live is money. To die is leave it all behind. For me to live is fame. To die is to be forgotten. For me to live is power. To die is to lose it all. Have you read Thomas Wolfe's book, You Can't Go Home Again? You know that that was his second book. 
His first book was about his hometown, Asheville, North Carolina. And he rattled some skeletons in every closet, it was said, in, North, in Asheville. And he became kind of unpopular, really. But that book made him famous. And so he went back after writing that book to his hometown and wasn't well received, to say the least. He wrote a second book from that experience entitled, You Can't Go Home Again. And in that book are these lines. Something spoke in the night, burning the tapers of the waning years. Something spoke to me in the night and told me I would die, I know not where, saying, to lose the earth you know for greater knowing, to lose the life you have for greater life, to leave the friends you love behind for greater loving, to gain a land more kind than home, more large than earth. Haunting lines. To lose the earth you know for greater knowing. There, there are so many mysteries, so many questions without answers. Some of us are looking today at the backside of the tapestry and there's nothing there. There's nothing there but knots and, and, and mystery. And, but, but one day we'll know even as we are known and we see the other side of the mystery. And we lose this life for greater life. For Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. To go beyond it is to have him. It's, a, it's to leave the friends we love behind for greater loving. Oh, what, how wonderful it will be to, to live in the, in the love of God forever that is not hindered by our own failures and sin. To, to have a land that is more kind than home and greater than earth without limitation or boundaries. For me to live is Christ, to die is profit. On April the 8th, in 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer just finished a service, a worship service in a Nazi prison camp when some guards came in and said, Bonhoeffer, come with us. And he knew that he was that was the day he would die. As he passed by the men that had been engaged in worship, where he had been leading the worship service, one of them said, Brother Bonhoeffer, th this is the end of you and of us. And Bonhoeffer stopped and said, Sir, for me, this is just the beginning. When Jesus Christ comes to live in your life, He makes the Christian life possible. And no demand is ever made on your life again that is not made on the Christ who lives in you. Is every door open to Him? 
Is every secret known to Him? And when Jesus Christ is living His life in you, the purpose of your life becomes that He be exalted. And, and that's the most practical thing in the whole world because nothing will ever keep that from happening. And when the bottom line is drawn, there is gain. No wonder the Salvation Army lists its dead under the title Promotions. Would you pray with me? Father, some of us today are quite acquainted with the struggle, the striving, the expending of energy to try to be a Christian, to try to deal with pressure, peer pressure, putting our best foot forward, doing our best, and we're just taking a beating. Lord, help us to yield our life today to the Christ who lives in us. Holy Spirit, release Him in our life to live His life in us. Help us to surrender and by faith live with Christ living in us for the purpose that Christ might be exalted, to be able to come to the end of life and know that the best, the beginning is now the best is yet to be. And I pray for the lost this morning who have never received Christ, for the saved who are not living under His control. This might be a day of change because I pray in Jesus' name. Now we have three invitations this morning. As always here, the first invitation is for you to come and receive Jesus Christ into your life. Now when he went to heaven, God sent the Holy Spirit into the world, the other Jesus. He said, I will send you another of the same kind, another comforter, the other Jesus, the Holy Spirit present. He comes to live in your life by your invitation, by your acceptance of him. Would you open up your life to Him by faith, in inviting Him to come into your life, into your heart, to live there, to enthrone Himself upon your life? Come and receive Jesus' gift of eternal life. The second invitation is for Christian people who, doing their best, striving their hardest, failing, come to yield themselves to His control, to, re, to begin again, to start anew the right way. The third invitation is for those of us who feel led of God to place their life in this church where Christ is being honored and exalted and loved and praised. We'll give you that opportunity in just a Stanza to of invitation, while we stand you come.